Welcome to Luke 21 Radio, a broadcast explaining biblical prophecy in the tradition of St. Augustine. And now, from Greenville, South Carolina, here's your host, Steve Wood. Hello, this is Steve Wood, and welcome to Luke 21 as we're exploring biblical prophecy and trying to come up with a very clear understanding of it. This is actually the second part in our series, Understanding Dispensationalism and the Relationship in Particular Between Israel and the Church. I mentioned last time, but it bears repeating that a key, very important key to understanding the rapture at any moment fellow Christians, and there's a lot of fellow Christians holding that view today, is to know about dispensationalism. So if you want to know about the rapture, folks, you need to know about dispensationalism. And what is dispensationalism? It's an interpretive system, I would claim, is imposed on the scriptures that creates a radical distinction between Israel and the church. I concluded in our previous episode, that was episode 330, that the present age isn't to be an age of division between Israel and the church or between Jew and Gentile because they are one, and I gave you scriptures for that. So the realistic uh, objection to that might say, well, you know, just looking around, isn't the church mostly a Gentile thing, at least in this whole section of Western history? And yes, it does seem that way, but I concluded by saying, but the story isn't over. And one of the places you can find what is left in that story and the whole idea between Jew and Gentile is section 676 of the Catechism of the Catholic Church, which reads, the full inclusion of the Jews in the Messiah's salvation in the wake of the full number of Gentiles will enable the people of God to achieve the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ in which God may be all in all. And the important scriptures to substantiate that claim in the Catechism are from Romans 11 and from Luke chapter 21, that chapter of the Bible of which this broadcast is named after. Now, here's a way of looking at it. Dispensationalism would compare, oh, I don't know, uh, let's say a car to a boat two distinct different things, two different modes of transportations, two different destinations and makeup. Okay, that would be dispensationalism, radical difference between a car and a boat. The proper way to look at this that I'm trying to explain, the non-dispensational way, would be saying you're in a car, a stick shift, and you put it in first gear and get going. That is the Old Testament. And then when you come to the New Testament, that 
car, as you're about halfway or a third way through the book of Acts, you shift it into second gear, and it does shift into more, much more of a Gentile emphasis, but yet that car has a third gear, and that is the end of the age when the Jews are included. And so it's the same car, except you have different stages or different gears within that progress. It's not two distinct things like a car and a boat. I'm just going to give you an example of a way to look at it. Maybe you haven't. Uh, I'm going to go to the Greek translation of the Old Testament. Old Testament written in Hebrew, but a nice thing about the Greek Old Testament is that you can compare Old Testament with the same word in the New Testament, Greek with Greek. Now, don't panic, because this is going to be a very easy language uh, exercise. This word study is ecclesia, which is the word, if you read the New Testament, for church, ecclesia. In English, we have things like ecclesiastical. It's an English word that comes from this Greek word for church. Ecclesiastical pertains to the church. But if you go to the Old Testament, something very interesting, for instance, I'm in Deuteronomy 23.3, and it says, no Ammonite or Moabite shall enter the assembly of the Lord. That word, the assembly, is ecclesia. It's the exact same word that's used of the church in the New Testament. And to top it off, it's the ecclesia of Curios, the Lord. And every single Mass, what do we sing? The Curia. That's that's a Greek phrase, Curia. Lord have mercy. This is the church of the Lord in Deuteronomy 23. Do you get this? So if you know if you were reading this in the Greek Old Testament, you go to the New Testament, oh, the Curia, Lord, it's the same word for God and Ecclesia, the same word for the church. For instance, you go to the New Testament. One of my favorite guys really is, is St. Stephen. I'm so glad I'm named after him. Uh, In Acts 7 and verse 38, Stephen's in his sermon says, this is he who is with the congregation in the wilderness. That word in Greek for congregation is ecclesia. The church in the wilderness. Now, it wasn't the church in its present form since the day of Pentecost, and I know all that, but I'm just saying this is the same word. And biblically, we aren't supposed to see differences between Old Testament Israel and the New Testament church like it's a car and a boat. No, it's like between first and second gear. There are differences, but there's profound similarities. But Stephen goes on in his talk, and by the way, Remember, there were no chapter divisions, so he said the congregation, the ecclesia in the wilderness, that's Acts 7.38. If you turn the page to the first part of chapter 8, he goes, and Saul, that's St. Paul, was consenting to his death, Stephen's death, and on that day a great persecution arose against the church in Jerusalem, the ecclesia. And so, in the end of seven, he goes, the ecclesia in the wilderness, that's the Old Testament, people of God. And now there's the New Testament ecclesia 
in Acts chapter 8. It's the exact same word. Now, certainly there are differences between Old Testament Israel and the New Testament church, but there's a lot of continuity too, and that's what separates non-dispensationalists from dispensationalists. Now, I want to give you something that's very important and can get you past a whole lot of roadblocks. It's called symphonic theology. It was developed by a very bright Presbyterian theologian by the name of Dr. Vern Poitras. He got a master's degree from Cambridge, a PhD from Harvard, a doctor of theology from South Africa. And the subtitle of his book, Symphonic Theology, is The Validity of Multiple Perspectives in Theology. And it's very interesting. Dr. Poitras also wrote a companion book, Understanding Dispensationalists. Rather than simply fighting with them, understand them, because they might have, not perfect, but they might have an insight. And this was something, I grew up in Pennsylvania, and in the uh, downtown parts of the north, I don't even know if they still do this since I've lived south of the Mason-Dixon line for so long, but up north, when I was a boy, the construction sites would have plywood along the sidewalk, but they drill little peepholes into the plywood so you could see all what was going on in the construction site. I used to love these things when I was a little kid. In fact, when I was so little, people would have to hold me up to be able to look through a peephole, but I loved doing it, okay? Now, one peephole cannot give you a full perspective of the entire construction site. So let's imagine that a dispensationalist is looking through a peephole and what I would call a non-symphonic theology Catholic. That's a big term, but you understand what I'm saying. A, a Catholic that doesn't seek to understand another perspective and to maybe even listening, there could be a little something there that he might pay attention to. Okay, so the Catholic, the non-symphonic theology Catholic, is looking through his peephole, and he sees this huge, expansive, worldwide, Gentile church, and it really seems to eclipse God's promises to Israel and the Jews. Now, remember, the Catechism in 676 doesn't seem to go along with this, but surprisingly, there's many good Catholics who don't go along with the Catechism in that, in that uh, section, 676. And yet, Romans 11, one of the scripture footnotes to that section, says, hey, don't get proud. Don't, and part of that proud is thinking that you're included and God has abandoned the Jews. Don't get proud about that. Then you have another people. Call this the dispensationalist people. It's at the other side of the construction site. And he looks through his people and he says, huh, I see Israel, Israel, Israel. I read the Old Testament. God's all these promises to Israel, Israel, Israel. Now, the Catholic non-symphonic theology guy says, no, 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 no. I see the church. And can't you see that? It's, a, it's basically a worldwide Gentile church. The dispensationalist looking through his people says, no, I'm looking at prophetic realities for Israel, and God will never go back on his promises to ancient Israel. 
Now there's a little kid, just kind of like when I was a little kid growing up in Pennsylvania, looking through his peephole. And next to his peephole is a knot in the plywood. And he kind of taps it and it opens up two holes. And this little kid starts looking through now with binocular vision. And he's saying, hey, I'm seeing both Jew and Gentiles everywhere, even though he doesn't understand the vocabulary, what he's about to say, he goes, there's some kind of organic and unified whole that I'm seeing with my binocular vision. And you say, well, this is crude explanation of eschatology, but let me give you a sophisticated one. In the book Eschatology, the second edition by Joseph Ratzinger, known as Benedict XVI, he says this, Two sentences pay very close attention to. Doctrinal formations always tell us about some parts. In the exposition of the individual parts, it is vital to preserve the whole and keep it in view at all times. That's a guiding principle for eschatology. And this next sentence is even more important. We need to integrate the opposing elements in the light of the Christian center to strike a fair balance and come to understand the real promise of faith more deeply. You see, the integration, and I know I've been guilty of this both when I was a Protestant evangelical and as a Catholic, sometimes thinking, well, whatever my belief, I have to prove the other one wrong. And there's definitely room for that, as long as it's respectful. But there's also room for trying to look with binocular vision and seeing the perspective of others, and maybe they're seeing something important that you're overlooking. I'm Steve Wood, your host, and you've been listening to episode 331 of Luke 21 Radio. Luke 21 is a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. Visit us online at luke21.com.